Well, good morning. If you're here with us this morning, today uh, represents the beginning of Advent. Uh, this is the time where we focus on the coming of Jesus. Uh, and if you've been with us at all in, in the last several months, uh, you know we've been preaching through the book of Hebrews. And, and the great theme of that book is that Jesus is greater. He's greater than anyone and anything. He's the greater mediator, the greater word, etc., etc. It goes on and on. And so we want to continue this idea, this theme of greater during Advent. And so we're going to focus on uh, the, the fact that God is the giver of greater gifts. And each week we're going to look at one of those gifts that God has given us as his children and, and hopefully come to see that he indeed gives good and perfect gifts to those of us whom he loves. So we're going to kick off the series, though, by looking at God himself as the one who gives us these gifts. And to do that, we're going to look at James chapter 1. So I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 1 and ask you to please stand in honor of the Word of God as I read for us verses 16 through 18. This is the Word of God, and it's given to us in love. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let us pray. O Lord and our God, we are grateful that we can gather and to come and to worship you in spirit and truth this morning. We come before you acknowledging that you are the Father of lights and you are the giver of good and perfect gifts. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you might help us to understand that more deeply. Lord, help us to see that the greatest gift of all is your Son, Jesus Christ. May we celebrate and honor him over these next few weeks. And Lord, we ask that you might humble us, and that you might enable us to see Jesus in a new and fresh way today. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So let me start this morning by asking a question. Why do we exchange gifts? There are lots of reasons why we give gifts. There's lots of opportunities to give gifts. We give gifts at birthdays. We give gifts at weddings. We give gifts sometimes just to honor someone or, or because we love them. It's, it's, there's a variety of reasons why we give gifts. Exchanging gifts is certainly a big part of, of most people's Christmas celebrations. It's, it's one of the things particularly kids look forward to Christmas morning is, is opening gifts. But why? Why do you exchange gifts? Why do you give gifts? There are healthy and unhealthy answers to that question. Maybe sometimes you give a gift because you feel obligated, so you give it out of obligation. Maybe sometimes you give a gift to somebody in a hope that they in return will give you a gift. Maybe sometimes you give a gift just to, to earn favor, to win favor with somebody. Those are unhealthy reasons why we give gifts sometimes. But hopefully most of us, most of the time, seek to give gifts for the right reasons and for good reasons. And that is we, we give a gift to somebody because we love them and we want that gift to be a blessing to them. We want that gift to provide them with some kind of, of happiness and joy. And that is the framework that I want uh, us to consider gifts this morning, is that gifts are designed to bring joy. Good, right, perfect gifts bring joy. 
Now, that doesn't mean that every gift accomplishes that task, but that is what they're designed to do. And James teaches us here in this passage that God is the giver of gifts. It is his nature to give. And that begs the question, what kinds of gifts does God give? Verse 17 tells us that his gifts are good and perfect. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from him. But what does that actually mean? Well, in order to answer that question, it's important for us to look at the character of the giver of those gifts. And James is going to show us this morning that God is good, that God is trustworthy, and God is gracious. Let us start this morning by looking at God as good. Look back at verses 16 and 17, which said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So James is actually correcting a misunderstanding that was happening in the church at that time. There, there are some people that were attributing temptation to God. They were, their argument was something like this, that God is sending temptation my way that I cannot handle, so when I fall into sin, he can't blame me for that. If God is tempting me in ways that I cannot get through, then it's really his fault. It's not my fault that I, I fall into those temptations, that I fall into sin. So the people were blaming God. They were saying it's not our fault, it's his. And if all of us are honest with ourselves, we do this as well, don't we? There are times we blame God for our sin. That we blame God for some of the hardships and difficulties that we deal with as a result of our sin. It's because the nature of sin is to blame someone else. We see this at the very beginning, don't we? When Adam sinned, what did he do? He blamed Eve. What did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. Our sinful nature does not want to accept responsibility for our sins, so we suppress the truth. We look for excuses. We blame others. And it is one thing for us to blame others, but it's an entirely different thing to blame God. But that was happening in the church. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is full of temptation. We are tempted all the time. We need to acknowledge that we are tempted by Satan. We are tempted by the world. And we're tempted by our own flesh. But we are never tempted by God. James makes this very clear earlier in verse 13 when he writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And then James goes on in the next several verses in explaining that, that our sin is, is because of us, that we need to own our sin. We need to take responsibility for our sin. So here in verse 16, James is exhorting us to not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not blame God for your sin. Do not blame others for your sin. Own your sin. Confess it. Repent. Because there is no other way. We cannot blame God. For our sin. Why? Well, look at verse 17. He is incapable of giving you bad things. God is incapable of tempting you. He only gives good and perfect gifts. He only gives you things that are going to, that are going to lead to your good and to His glory. He's only going to give us things that bring us true joy. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you hear that and you're like, I just, that's not true. I can't believe that. 
Maybe you struggle to believe that, that God is actually good or that God loves you or that God cares for you. Maybe you struggle to believe that God actually is giving you good and perfect gifts because your life is marked with hardship and sorrow and trials. And we need to all acknowledge that this is a temptation we struggle with. There are often times because of something difficult that's in our lives or because of some pain or sorrow, we are tempted to blame God. We are tempted to believe that God does not love us, that God does not care for us, that God does not give us only good things. Why? Why do we believe that sometimes? Well, let me highlight two common misunderstandings. The first is this. There is a great difference between what God allows and what God gives. God is sovereign over all things. There is nothing that happens apart from His will. He allows us to be tempted, but He is not the one who tempts us. He allows us to sin, but He is not the one that causes us to sin. He allows sin, but He's not the author of it. So the bad things that happen in our lives, the challenging things that happen in our lives, oftentimes are a result of our own sinful decisions and actions. And if they're not a direct result of that, sometimes they happen just simply because we live in a sinful, fallen world. But they are never given to us by God's hands because He only gives good and perfect gifts. And this leads us to a second misunderstanding. And it has to do with how do you actually define the word good? We talk about good gifts. How do you define good? Do we view good from the perspective of the world? Do we define good just in our own understanding of it? Or do we view good as the way God defines good? Because there's a great difference between the way that we define good and the way God defines good. We tend to think good as, as only positive things, as something positive, as something that brings us happiness and security, something that makes life better and easier, something that makes us comfortable. And there's a lot of truth to that. Oftentimes those are good things that God gives us that make us happy, that lead to safety, lead to security. But that's not the whole picture. God defines goodness by Himself. He is good by nature, and goodness flows from Him. True goodness is a reflection of God Himself. Think about it this way. There's a difference between what we want and what we need. What we want is not always the same thing as what we need. Now, sometimes these things overlap, but often they do not. And God will always give you what you need. He doesn't always give us what we want. Because sometimes what we want is not what we need. God will always give you what you need. So, for example, last week, Essen preached from Hebrews 12, and he reminded us that one of the good gifts God gives us is discipline. Discipline is for our good. It corrects bad and harmful behavior. And God uses it to help us grow in holiness. Hebrews 12 tells us, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline from our Father is one of His good and perfect gifts. Another example is suffering. Do you know that suffering is a gift from God? Suffering unites us to Jesus. It draws us closer to God. 
The Spirit often uses suffering to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. And those are all good things. Discipline is a good gift. Suffering is a good gift. However, suffering and discipline are not things that we want most of the time. But God, in His loving care for us, sometimes gives us those gifts because that is exactly what we need. And they are good, and they are perfect gifts. God cannot and will not give you a bad gift because it's against His nature because He is good. You see, even when we desire to give somebody a good gift, one that we truly think is going to make them happy or bring them joy, there's no guarantee that it will actually be received as a good gift. Why? Because we, always, we don't always know what people, act, what people actually need. We don't oftentimes know what we actually need. But God does. God knows exactly what you need at all times. And He loves you and He wants to give you gifts that are good and perfect. Gifts that will bring you joy and peace. And so one of the questions I'm asking you to wrestle with this morning is, do you actually believe that that is true? Do you believe that God is good? And every gift He gives you, including things that are hard, like suffering and discipline, are good and perfect gifts because that's exactly what you need. God is incapable of giving you any other kind of gift. As I said, Christmas is often, you know, a big part of Christmas is often this, the celebration of, of giving and receiving gifts. And, and oftentimes you get gifts that you think are good, but it's not wrong at times to also get gifts that you think are not so good. One of uh, the Christmases I had when I was a kid that I will never forget um, is we were opening gifts Christmas morning, and you know, I get to one gift, which this is a gift from my grandmother, and I open it up, look in the box, a little bit of disbelief, pull out this Washington Redskins shirt. Now, for context purposes, you need to understand, I am a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan. I grew up despising the Redskins, now the Commanders, just to get that in there, so someone pointed that out in first service. Back then, it was only the Redskins, but I despised the Redskins. And at first I thought, oh, this is my grandmother. She's like, this is a mean Christmas joke. <laughs> but then after talking to my parents, I began to realize, no, it was actually meant to be a sincere gift. Her thinking was, we, our family had just moved into Virginia, and she knew I loved NFL football, and she thought, like, I would want to support the local team. And so she got me a Redskins shirt. It was a sincere gift given to me in love. Well, at least I thought, well, at least I can find some joys in finding creative ways to dispense of this gift. But then I heard the dreaded words from my parents. The next time your grandmother visits, you need to wear that shirt. So sure enough, my granny came to visit, and I had to put that shirt on. I was like, it burns! But I had to wear it for her. It was the one and only time I wore that shirt. I have no idea where that shirt has disappeared to. But the point is, is she gave me that gift and she meant well. But it missed the mark. That will never happen with God. I want you to hear this very clearly. God will never give you a Washington Redskins shirt. <laughs> he will never give us a bad gift. Why? Because that is not his nature. God is good. And there is no hint of weakness or evil within him. He will only give good and perfect gifts. 
He will give us exactly what we need every time. He will give us gifts that will draw us closer to Jesus. He will give us gifts that will conform us more into the image of Jesus. He will give us gifts that will bring true joy and lasting peace. And we need to hear this. We need to hear this because we are tempted to forget it. We are tempted to think that God does not love us, that God does not want to give us good things. We're tempted to think that God does not care. We are tempted to think that God doesn't want us to actually be happy. So what do we do? We look to other things. We look to other things in the pursuit of happiness. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's this new gadget that you're hoping to get Christmas morning that's just going to change your life. You see, we create all kinds of idols with the hope that they will fill this void that is deep within us that we all have. But they never do. Because they can't. They cannot fill that void. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can make you truly happy. Only Jesus can give you a true identity. Only Jesus can make you truly secure. Jesus is the chief of all the good and perfect gifts that God gives us. And that is where James will head in a moment. But before we go there, there are two other things I want us to see here. Look again at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Well, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that God only gives good and perfect gifts. Now, certainly that's true, and that's part of what James is teaching us here, that God does give good and perfect gifts. But what it says here is actually even more amazing. It says every good and every perfect gift is from God. In other words, there is nothing good that you can receive that does not come from God. Anything and everything good comes from Him. He is the author of all that is good. There is nothing good that comes outside from that comes from outside of God. And this reality should have a profound effect on how we view ourselves and how we view God. It should humble us because it helps us remember that we are utterly dependent upon him for anything good. It should also grow us in gratitude because we are incapable of producing anything good in our own strength and our own wisdom. It is only because of God's grace that any one of us can do anything that's good. It's only because of God's grace that any one of us can give a good gift. I think that's why pride is, is addressed so often in Scripture, because pride is not only the, the, the promoting of ourself, but it's also a denial of God and His goodness. We also need to recognize that we don't deserve anything good. We don't. We do not deserve good gifts from God. But God is gracious, and He is merciful, and God loves you, and He lavishes you with good and perfect gifts. So gratitude should be a regular part of our, our posture before Him. God is good, and He is also trustworthy. Look, look again at verse 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where the, this title, the Father of Lights, is used in relation to God. So, so what does that mean? What does this title reveal about God? 
Well, first, he is the Father. This is an allusion to the fact, or points to the fact, that he is the creator of all things. He is the Father of all things. There is nothing that exists that he did not create. Secondly, the Father is a picture that's used often in describing God as a reminder that he indeed is a giver of gifts, because fathers are supposed to give good gifts to their children. And all of us are his children because he is our creator, and he delights in giving us good and perfect gifts. But not only is he our Father, he is also the Father of lights. Now, the lights here are referring to the luminaries above. It's it's referring to the sun and the moon and the stars that you see up in the sky, the lights up in the sky. God created those. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And not only does this reveal the the power and the beauty of his creativity, but there's an important point being made here. You see, many of the religions at that time, they, they deified the sun or they deified the moon and the stars. They looked to the heavens as a place to find wonder and to find power and a place to find blessing. And so they worshiped those things. They worshiped those things in the hope that they would bring happiness and security. But what was the result of this? Disappointment. Because those luminaries, those lights, they could not be trusted to provide good gifts. And not only that, but just watching them in the sky, you, you can notice that they move. They don't stay in one place all the time. They move. And this is, these lights are being contrasted with the one true light. Jesus said that I am the light of the world. He is the one who created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And as great as those lights appear to be, they do not compare to the one true light. And why does that matter? It means that God can be absolutely trusted. He can be trusted to give us good and perfect gifts. Unlike the sun, the moon, and the stars, God does not change. He is trustworthy. He gave good gifts to his people in the past. He continues to give good gifts to his people in the present. And he will always give good gifts into the future. He has always and will always give good gifts. Because he is faithful and trustworthy. And he does not change. God is good, he is trustworthy, and he is gracious. God gives us good gifts. He gives you and me exactly what we need, and he never fails at doing this. The question this morning is, do you trust that? Do you trust him to give you good gifts? To bring this home, look at what he says in verse 18. He says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of all his creatures. So every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. They come from God above, and it was His will to give us what's the gift, the the word of truth. So what is this word of truth? Well, Hebrews, as we've been working through Hebrews, we've seen that the word is living and active, that the, the word has the power of salvation. The Apostle John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the good and perfect gift given to us from the Father of lights. He is the greatest gift ever given. And all good gifts come because of him. Through Jesus, we have been brought forth. This is an allusion to the new birth. Because of of the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, because of his victorious resurrection, all who trust in him have been brought forth. 
We've been united to Christ by faith. We've been transferred from the dominion, brought forth from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of the Son. And we've been united to Christ by faith. Our sins have been forgiven, and we've been made righteous. In Christ, all of you in Christ are now new creations. We're no longer sinners, but we are sons and daughters of the Father of lights. Because we've been brought forth by Jesus. It's not what we deserve. We can't take credit for this gift. Because it was given to us of God's own will. Jesus has been given to you because God wanted to give him to you. Because God loved you. He was under no obligation to do this. He doesn't owe us anything. But he loved you and sent his son to die for you. And Jesus himself willingly gave himself because he loves you and wants you to be with him. You did not receive this gift by accident. It was a gift, an intentional gift given to you out of love. And what's the result of the gift? That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So you've been brought forth through Jesus in order to be a kind of first fruits of the creatures. Now, this concept is found in the Old Testament. God commanded his people to offer him the first fruits of all that they produce. You can read about this in Exodus 22 or Numbers 18 or many other places. So in other words, the crops that God's people grew or the animals that they raised, they were expected to give the first of what they produced, the first of their crops, the first of their livestock. They were called to dedicate those to the Lord, either for sacrifice or for redemption. And the first fruits were considered not only the first, but they were also considered the best. So God's people were expected to give him the first and the best of all that they made. And they were called to do this for two reasons. One, to show that they are devoted to God, but also to show that they trust God to continue to provide for them, that they were willing to sacrifice their first and their best because they knew God would continue to provide for them. So the first fruits, they were set apart for God, and they were considered holy. What are the implications of this for us? First, it's a reminder that we as human beings, we are the pinnacle of all that God created. We are set apart from the rest of all created things because we alone are made in the image of God. And so we have value and dignity and honor because we are made in the image of God. But second, we are told that in Christ we are set apart, that we are holy. Through Jesus, we belong to God as His chosen possession. Through Jesus, you are holy. Let that sink in for a moment. If you are following Jesus, if you belong to him, you are holy. Right here and right now, you are holy. Listen to these words from Simon Kistemarker. He wrote, God has chosen us from among all his creatures to be holy and has dedicated us to himself. We belong to God. Therefore, let no one ever think that God can lead us astray. That is impossible. For he is holy and we, his first fruits, share his holiness. So brothers and sisters, you, if, you belong, if you are trusting in Jesus, you belong to God. You are his chosen possession. You are his precious child. He is the father of lights and he is going to give you every good and perfect gift. And he can be trusted. If you struggle to believe that from time to time, and I think we all will, look to Jesus 
Jesus is the greatest gift given to you. Through him, you've been redeemed. You've been set apart. And that is good news. And so as we begin Advent this season, I want us to continue to remember who God is. God is good. God is trustworthy. God is gracious. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. It comes from him alone. And the greatest of all his gifts is his son. Do not lose sight of that this season. Christmas can be a time full of all kinds of activity, and it is easy to lose sight of Jesus. Do not lose sight of him. That is what we celebrate. We celebrate the coming of Jesus. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and and as we are heading into Christmas season, you, you actually are dreading the next several weeks. This time of the year is really hard for you because it is full of pain and sorrow. And if that is you this morning, then I encourage you to cling to Jesus. He loves you, and he is with you. And Jesus will bring you joy even in the midst of suffering. He will bring you joy even in the midst of pain and sorrow. Cling to him. Now maybe as we are beginning Advent season, you're just full of excitement. You love this time of the year. This is the greatest time of the year. If that is you, I encourage you to cling to Jesus. Because everything good in your life has come from him. Fall on your knees in humility and gratitude before him. This season should be a time of celebration and a time of joy because God has given us his son. His gift was adorned with pain, suffering, and death. But his gift also rose in glory from the grave, defeating sin and death, so that all who believe in him have been brought forth and have been set apart as holy, belonging to God. And we've been given peace with God. So rejoice. Jesus has been given to you. Embrace this gift. And if you embrace this gift, then your season will be one full of joy, regardless of your circumstances. Cling to Jesus this season. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we are grateful and humbled by the fact that you give good and perfect gifts. The greatest of these gifts is your son, Jesus Christ, who came to live the perfect life that none of us could live ourselves and to die an atoning death upon the cross, who then rose victoriously over Satan, sin, and death through his resurrection. Lord, we know that it is only in him that we are holy. It is only because of him that we can have true joy and lasting peace. And Lord, as we enter a season where we hear a lot about goodwill towards men and peace on earth, we pray that that many would come to know that the only way that is possible is through Christ. And that many would call upon him in faith this season. Lord, we know that we live in a world that is full of sin. We live in a world that is full of conflict, full of despair. We know the only hope is Jesus, and so we pray that he would continue to be proclaimed. We pray that many would come to know him. We especially want to continue to lift up the regions of Israel and Ukraine as they continue to deal with this ongoing conflict. We pray that you would bring peace to the land.
We ask that justice would prevail. We pray that you would protect life. And that we pray that even in the midst of much darkness and hardship and pain and death, that Jesus would be proclaimed and that you would draw many to him. We are grateful for the many men and women that you train and and raise up to be missionaries. We pray this morning for the Burgesses. We ask that you would bless them as they continue to seek to minister not only to the medical needs of people, but also provide them with opportunities to share the love of Jesus with them and that many would come to know Jesus through their, their work. And Lord, we also are grateful that you use your church, as weak and feeble as it is, to, to multiply your kingdom. And we are asking that you would give us wisdom as we are seeking how you might be calling Tabernacle to multiply. And uh, this morning, we particularly want to focus on Stuart's draft. We ask that you would bless that community. We are thankful for the many churches in Stuart's draft that faithfully proclaim your gospel. ask that you would continue to bless them, and, and we pray that your kingdom would grow in Stuart's draft. And we ask that you would give us wisdom on how you might be calling us to multiply in that region. We are grateful for the ministry of Love, Inc. as they seek to come alongside people in in their darkest hours and great need and and to provide them not only with help and services, but more importantly, to love them with the love of Jesus. And and we pray that you would bless their efforts, that they would continue to to help our community flourish, but we pray that your gospel would be proclaimed clearly through them. And Lord, we are grateful for all the men and women and the children that are gathered here this morning and and are watching from home. Uh, We are grateful for these families. We ask that you would bless them and that you would remind them in this coming weeks that you are the Father of lights who gives good and perfect gifts, that you gave us your Son, the greatest gift of all. We do want to lift up several families, particularly we pray for the Missentones, Mike and Sherry and their children. We pray for Brian and Kara Mongold with their children, Garrett and Ella. We pray for Sandy Morgan and Brenda Neff. We are grateful for these families, and we ask for your blessings upon them. But we know that there is nothing hidden from your sight, that you know exactly what they need and, and where they're struggling, and we pray that you'd come alongside each of them and bless them and grow them in their love for Jesus. We also are grateful to see Karen here this morning and ask for your blessings upon her. She's recovering from her multiple surgeries, and we are thankful for the ways that you've watched over the Shank family. We also want to lift up the Taylors as Kenny is recovering from back surgery and As Cynthia is still recovering from her back surgery as well, we ask for your blessings upon them, uh, that they both would fully recover, strengthen, and encourage them. And Lord, as we gather here this morning, we do remember that this is the 50th anniversary of our denomination. We are grateful for all the ways that you have blessed the PCA, and we pray that you would humble us, that you would keep our eyes and our hearts focused upon Jesus and that we would proclaim him faithfully, and that we would pursue the Great Commission and how you're calling us to pursue it. As we continue our worship now, as we prepare to come to the table, we ask that you prepare our hearts and minds, that we would come and and feed upon Christ spiritually. We pray now, as we continue to worship through our tithes and offerings, that you might be honored and blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.